Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Here's my hope. This is my hope on Easter. I know for preachers everywhere, we feel like, man, this is the one, right? You've got to hit it out of the ballpark, right? I mean, it's got, to, it's got to make you cry. It's got to make you laugh. It's got to make you want more. Don't be too long, but don't be too short, you know, and, and all of those kind of things. And just so you guys are aware, I don't feel that pressure. <laughs> I don't abide by those rules, okay? Um, for this reason, um, we come together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and that alone, that theme alone, is so much greater than just the skill of one person to communicate something as wonderful and as deep. Um, I think there are people, and maybe I could do it at times, that can stir you to emotions. Okay, Uh, but this isn't that right. The resurrection isn't about just stirring us to emotion. It's a reality that is so great and so amazing and so wonderful. We have to just sit in silence oftentimes to even contemplate what we're talking about. So my hope is, is I can kind of roll a ball out and you can go ahead and play with it and kick, kick it around. Not this morning, but in life. Okay, because really when we're talking about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, we're talking about celebrating this every day, every day of our lives, right? The, the, just the confluence of gratitude and power and grace and all of these things. And what I love about the Bible is, is the Bible tipped, uh, God tipped his hand in page one, what was going to happen. It's right there. It's right in front of us. And if you're going, how is that possible? This is one of the really fun things about God's word um, and hopefully challenging things. All of us approach his word with a filter of some sort. It, it, I know it's really easy for myself to all of us to go, no, 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 but I don't have a filter. I read it perfectly the way it is. Right? But that's really is not accurate. It's not true. I'm, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm saying it as something to be aware of. Because sometimes we forget some of the most wonderful things about God. He describes from the beginning. And so right off the bat, what, you know, where it says, you know, in the beginning, God created the universe. Right. And then he goes on down and he he just speaks to the light and he speaks to the land. And he speaks to the plants and he speaks. There's there's something that is very easily mistaken. But God himself at that point has shown he is authoritative and the authority over everything we know. Everything we know. Everything obeyed him. When he spoke, what did the light do? The light came out. Right? When he spoke, that's when plants and bushes and water separated. Okay? And again, that's one of those really big themes where we, sadly enough, we could hear that and it's kind of normal to go, man, that's a really neat thing. That he has that authority. That's really neat that he could say that. But I'll tell you this. When we're able to kind of silently meditate and contemplate what that actually means. 
That is life-changing. Just that one thing. What do we see in the beginning? We see the kingdom of God. We see God as this perfect father and king and everything surrendering and submitting to him right off the bat. And then he says this. He says, you know, I'm going to take this, this formless and chaotic thing and I'm going to make it become life-giving. I'm going to create this time where if we were to exist at this time, right, we would look around and go, no life could exist here on this planet. No life could exist in this universe. It would just be pure chaos. It would be scary. There would be no chance for life to exist. And that's one of those little tidbits that God gives us of telling us right off the bat, I take things that can't be sustaining life and I make life flourish there. Okay, again, these are those themes where you're like, man, that's really neat. It's beyond that. These actually are life-changing concepts, right? And then he does this thing. As he goes around, he takes this planet that's all kind of messed up and not suitable for life, and he begins like forming life beautifully and perfectly, and everything was working in harmony, right? There was there wasn't global warming, and there wasn't like you know smog, and then the, you know there wasn't all of these things. There wasn't like you know the animal kingdom was in perfect working order, and the plants were in perfect perfect condition, and everything. And there's a word for that, and that word is shalom. Okay, it's peace. Okay, here's the thing: is for us, think about oftentimes peace is one of those words where we think, well, peace is when there's no war, or there's no fighting, or there's no conflict, or peace is when we get to come to the lake, and it's nice and quiet and peaceful, except the peace that was brought by God was something greater than that. It was taking something broken and making it whole. Right? It was taking something that, that wasn't able to work together, was disconnected, and made it complete. See, that's what that word means, is this idea of completeness. This idea, and even when he created man, and he was able to, to, to create Adam, and he said, you're not complete, you're missing someone. And I created a female, right? And you two will come together, and you'll be complete together. It's this idea of shalom, this idea of wholeness. And then from that point on, we have a history of us breaking that piece to, to, just to pieces with the way we lived. It started with our, our, our old ancestors, right, Adam and Eve, when they decided to do something. And then shalom was broken. Okay, And then as we read this story, but all along from the beginning, we see God who brings life from things that are dead, brings wholeness to things that are broken, right? And brings kingdom to groups that, that are just harassed and helpless. All right, he tipped his hand right off the bat with these really amazing, life-changing things. We're going to pick up here um, where you are in Luke 19. But as we go ahead, that we, actually, we don't even know how many years it was, okay? And, and, and please don't try to figure that out. 
okay, of when all of this was happening with the earth, there's a really specific reason that the Bible doesn't give us any, like, idea of that time, because the point isn't to find out how old the earth is. The point is to find out how incredible God is. This story is about him. This story is about his majesty and his sovereignty and his perfect love and his perfect mercy and all of these things. And all of this story in the Bible leads us up to what we celebrate in December, which is the birth of Jesus. Right? Emmanuel, God with us. Again, these are th- this is one of my favorite things about the Bible is just that word alone. If you were to just sit still and just contemplate, what does that mean that cre- the creator God is with us? When you, when you just give yourself some time to consider that, again, these are life-changing. It's really tough to do Christianity the way we typically do it, which is very fast-paced. Right. Um, I, I received a, a text message recently, and it was somebody, and they were saying that they were listening to my sermons, and they listened at one and a half speed. And, and they said, I said something that was really, really funny. <laughs> it sounded funny at one and a half speed. But have you ever done that before? I've listened to it at two times speed. or two and a, There's a point there that you have to stop, right? I mean, it just sounds weird. But that's our kind of like thing. We're hurrying. Life is fast. Church is fast. Quiet times are fast. Relationships are fast. Like, let's hurry up. There's something else to be done. We don't have time for this. That's, that's like the world we live in. And everybody is kind of sitting in a different place. Some of you, you do great at this. You do great at, like, having really nice boundaries and not hurrying through life. And then there's others. My, this is the thing for me. Because I, I, I talk a big game about, like, silence and solitude because I love it so much. And I'm so horrible at it. Like, it's such a practice for me. It's really one of those things I have to really, 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 like, be intentional about because I want to just go to the next thing and what's going to happen later and, and all of these things. We're just that kind of people. And then here comes Jesus, right? And Jesus wasn't in a rush. If you read the Bible, if you read through Jesus' ministry and you think, man, he was the busiest dude in the world. You're reading it wrong. We're not reading it correctly. He wasn't frantic. He, listen, he wasn't at our pace, but he accomplished so much more, right? He wasn't, he, he wasn't weighed down with anxiety and depression and all these things. Was it just because, you know, we evolved to some point of, you know, smartphones and all these, that, or was it how he did life? But one of the things he said when he started his ministry, he said something interesting. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? That's that kingdom word again. Repent. But let's say it in normal words that we're used to. Okay? If Jesus were to come and say, listen, guys, I need you to think differently than the way you think. Because the way we think isn't about shalom and peace and wholeness. The way we think is competitiveness and comparativeness and breaking things and, and trying to do what's best for us, right? And he's just saying, listen, when you hear my words, the Jesus' words, when you hear those, please learn to think differently than how you think now. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. And he's telling you it's him. He's the king who will be here, okay? And then he says, you know, come and follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men, right? And again, 
in, in our kind of the institutional way, and I take credit for this as a preacher, I think what we can do sometimes is institutionalize Christianity so much to the point where it's just like, like a septic environment, you know, like just like it's so, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, and it's so kind of like theological and so clean and so neat, except he was talking about a way of life where we join with him. Right? We're celebrating all of this today. These are these are these big themes over time, right? Of, of Jesus, and hopefully we hear his voice. I hope we hear him because he doesn't just say it once. He's like, no, come on, follow me. I want you to think differently. All of Jesus' lessons are going to be about thinking differently, thinking how. He's trying to teach all of us what life in a kingdom is in his kingdom is supposed to be like. In his kingdom, while we're here on earth, here's the beautiful thing about this, is we aren't going to be spared from pain and suffering. We aren't going to be spared from those things. But there's something so much greater because he says, in this kingdom, though, there's hope. And you have hope for today, but you have hope for eternity. You have hope and you have peace. Even when our circumstances are a wreck, even when things are really tough, he's trying to teach us in the kingdom Right is there is peace that we can live in today. There is this serenity. There is this all in the midst of our chaotic world. And then he says, hey, come and join me on this. Come and join me on this. Because when people see the contrast of the kingdom of God and the world, it should look very, very, very different. And that's right there where we've gone wrong sometimes, right? It's because isn't it easy for the world to look at us and go, it's not different than what I see in the world. Right? How do we change that? Do we just behave better? Like, hey, hey, y'all, let's start behaving better. I, I don't think so. I think it comes back to these huge themes of resurrection, of life, of shalom, of understanding about God, our King. Like understanding who he is and what he's trying to accomplish, okay? That's where things really begin to change. And then we see here in Luke chapter 19, okay? So if you're there, um, Luke chapter 19, we'll start in verse uh, 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he, approached, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. You'll find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it, right? That doesn't work today. You couldn't go into like Walmart or something or, you know, what the Lord needs it, right? It's strange that he says that, right? So those who were sent left and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the young donkey, his owner said, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it. Actually, the word here that's really cool, it says the owner needs it. That's what the word actually says, okay? So they go, dude, the owner needs it, all right? And clearly he lets it go. They said, then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now he came near the path 
down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles they had seen. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd called him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, if, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached the city, as he approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? And this is this is Jesus coming in. I need us like here. Consider this. You have his disciples joyfully like praising him. As he's riding this donkey, they're joyfully praising it. And he comes in view of the city and just starts weeping for the people. All right, there's such a contrast going on here. And, and most likely, his disciples, they weren't even sure what was about to happen. Okay? But they knew as this was going on, they're joyfully cheering. And here's Jesus weeping. And what's he weeping about? He's weeping and saying, man, if, if you only knew. Like, I'm going to go into this town. And if you only knew... What was going to bring you shalom? If you only knew what was going to bring that right now. And he actually says, but you can't. All right. He says, but now it's hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you and hem you in. They'll crush you and your children within, with, within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. All right, there's, there's so much there. He's saying, I mean, just this idea of Jesus just weeping, just seeing the city and knowing what's about to happen, but also knowing his own people are like, they didn't even know it was him. Right? And she's just weeping. Now, here's the interesting thing history teaches us this there were two processions going into Jerusalem that day. There were two processions, okay? There was Jesus, and there was the procession of Pontius Pilate coming into town. He would traditionally come in on Palm Sunday. He did not live in Jerusalem. He would come in on Palm Sunday because his, one of his jobs as governor was to keep the peace. Right? He had to make sure there was no insurrections, no rioting, none of those things. So as Jesus was coming in one gate, most likely Pontius Pilate was coming in another gate in a completely opposite manner. Pontius Pilate is coming in with his, with his uh, soldiers. Pontius Pilate is coming in on his horses. Pontius Pilate is coming in with authority, and he's here to keep the peace. Okay? And just picture the contrast coming in. And then you have Jesus. He's kind of coming in the back door here, okay, through this other gate, directly across the city on a donkey. And all that donkey meant was that's what a king rode when he was coming in peace. All right, you see the contrast here? You have the authority of humans coming in with this pomp and circumstance, and they're just, you know, here comes Pontius Pilate to keep the peace, and then here comes our king. He's coming in on a donkey because he's the one that makes peace. Two very different things happening on this Sunday, okay? And so again, what is he talking to us about this idea of shalom? This idea of wholeness, reconciliation. He's, we're getting close to the resurrection. That word is a really interesting word because that word probably reminds you of some names that we've known in the past. It's anastasis. 
Okay, that's what resurrection means. It literally means to stand up again. Right? And isn't that the history, though, of God? It's, hey, where things shouldn't be happening, He makes them happen. Where things are dead, they come to life. Right? So we're getting to this place. And turn over to Luke chapter 24. So over here in Luke chapter 24... In verse 36, Jesus is risen, okay? This is like it's happened. And so we have here in verse 36 of Luke chapter 24. And as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them. This is Jesus. And he said, peace to you. All right? That that same idea of not just, hey, there's no more battle. There's no more war. There's no more conflict. He's like, no, like my peace, my shalom, my my wholeness. That's I'm, I want you to be sharing in this. Right. He says, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? OK, now we're getting like to our world. Is the idea of shalom coming in and meeting us who are like non-shalomish, okay? <laughs> if I could coin the Jewish term, okay? Uh, but you have this, you're like, man, these guys are going, no, our world is broken. Our world is, is not whole anymore. Like what we thought was going to happen, we don't understand and we're sad and we don't have this, this completeness that we had with Jesus. And he says this, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see. Having said this, he showed him his hands and feet. But while they still were amazed and unbelieving because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? All right. If there was any doubt that Jesus was not a ghost. All right, because that's what you would think. Like this couldn't happen. I know for us, we know the end of the story and, and we're all pros at this. We're like, ah, resurrection, yeah. Of course. We'd be, I mean, if we were there, we'd be like, oh, what's the big deal? Like, yeah, yeah, I get it. No, 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 no. Our jaws would drop. We would be like, this can't happen. There's no way. Are you kidding me? I don't even know it. Here, touch my hand. Okay, but I still don't believe it. Hey, give me some fish to eat. Like, I'm going to show you I'm not a ghost. I'm real. This is a body I'm living in. So they gave him a piece. He took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what's written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So again, here's this is where we're going with all of this. OK, is you have God who from the beginning um, he's bringing chaos into order and death into life. And he's doing all these things and he sends his son to come and to make whole what was broken. OK, and he tells us, he's like, here's what you can do. Like, join in with me because you can die, too. And I'll make you completely and utterly whole through my blood. OK, you will be absolutely. And, and I'm not going to leave you on your own. 
he says, he tells them, like, wait for the Holy Spirit. For us, he's like, no, I'm going to put, I'm not just going to watch you from the outside. I'm not just going to kind of be around. I'm going to come and live in you. That is the perfect idea of shalom. Is God in us, complete and whole. But he also means that the Spirit is inside of us so our relationships are whole. So our righteousness is whole. So, so our, our inner life is whole and complete. And he says to his guys right here, listen, you're going to be witnesses. Turn over. We're going to finish up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? Right here, he says all of these wonderful, amazing And, and, and I don't know how this is landing on your ears. Uh, unfortunately, I think like Christianity and God's message through his word has been kind of peddled in a way that, again, it seems like anything but good news. It seems like anything but shalom. It actually seems like, hold on a minute, like... Like, I don't know if there's the light in, in the city on the hill, you know, the way they're supposed to be. It can almost feel like and it's a chore. It's a chore to be in Christ, it can seem like. And, and the different things that we're asked to do can almost seem like we fight against those things, right? Is when he uses words like obedience and all these things. Those are so... Those are so old-fashioned words. And they keep people from wanting to do this life, okay? Except what's interesting about, about that is what he's asking us to do is he's saying, listen, I know how to reconcile. I know how to bring shalom. I know how to do that in relationships. And what I'm asking you to do is trust me and do as I share with you. Okay, that's what Jesus is asking. He's saying, like, no, I know we want wholeness and peace and right relationships and all of those things. And so all of Jesus' teachings are about bringing us to learn that, to think differently about that. Except we oftentimes, like, push away at that. Like, no, 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 I'm just not going to, I'm not going to obey because you say to obey. Except if somebody came to us and said, listen, you want to know what? You could tweak this one thing. Like, we actually, we do this as people. We go pay lots and lots of money for counseling and marriage counseling and parenting counseling and all these things. And we hang on the words, right, of like, that you yourself as a human being, is gonna, you're going to bring shalom to my marriage. Except Jesus gives it to us just free right here. And it's so easy for us to just push against it. And go, I'm pushing against that. I'm not just going to buy this, but I will go pay money for something else. Okay? And so, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, in, oh, we'll start in verse 16, okay? This, this entire chapter is, is wonderful, but he brings us in. Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church. Paul writes, from now on then... We do not actually let's start on verse 14. Put the brakes on Uh, for Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised from now on. Then we do not know anyone from a purely human way. This is the change of thinking right here. All right. We all know what happens when we view each other in a purely human way. Is 
We're prejudiced. We compare. We tear down. We compete. Or we just like, you know, whatever. I mean, there's all of these different things that end up happening when we view people in a purely human way. But he's saying, no, no, we change our thinking now. We don't view anyone that way. There's a shift. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here we go. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away and look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All he said right there is, is that through Jesus, I brought shalom, wholeness, completeness, the ability like, like to come all the way together. But then he says, and I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. Like, hey, I've asked you to come and partner with me on this because this is how great this is. This is how incredible the kingdom of God is. Everything is from God in verse 18, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, and again, this is a lot of great information. Okay, oftentimes we'll read that and go, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. Let me go and black people to church. Let me go and do this. Pleading in the ministry of reconciliation. He's like, no, 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 no. Live in my kingdom. In the presence of me. Okay? This is where, like, this is where living this life of resurrection is so important. This is what's so important because too often we go running out of church and we want to go and do things and we've left the guy behind that we're trying to introduce the people to. Okay, being nice isn't being a Christian. Being bold isn't being a Christian. Being out of focus isn't being a Christian. It's, hey, here's what it is to live in the presence of God. And let me share with you what this shalom looks like. Hey, come in with our community to see what shalom looks like. Right? It's not people who are just, oftentimes what can happen is we'll read things and we automatically go into a mode that we are familiar with in the Bible. It's the, it's the mode that the Israelites were in, in captivity to the Egyptians. We become brick makers. Hey, hurry up. Make more bricks, man. Why aren't you making more bricks? Like, do you even care? Come on, I'm going to take your straw away. That's what Christianity becomes, okay? That's not shalom. Shalom is hospitality. It's inviting people into a community. It's not just living a certain way and not saying something, but it's not just saying something and not living a certain way either. It's life together. And so what we learn from this, hopefully on Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, what we get through all of this is this really great tiny little thingy that you see through the Bible is the presence of God. And that may be the one tweak in our thinking that may encourage us and challenge us more than any other. Is that now we live in the presence of Him wherever we go. 
Okay? Not, not Jesus who's like waiting for you to mess up. Not Jesus who just doesn't like you anymore. Not that. But he's, here's the deal. Is he's going, I know you want shalom. Follow me. Okay? When you find yourself engaging in worldly things that are meant to break things and attitudes and relationships, listen, come out of that and follow me. Alright? That's the beautiful thing that we get as a benefit of all of this resurrection of Jesus is this idea of going, man, we can live in His presence. And that's a presence we have to practice our minds to be patient, right? It's really difficult. It's, so, it's going to be so easy for all of us in here. There's not a soul in here that is so holy that you just heard these words and you're just going to, there's a good chance that in 25 or 30 minutes, your thought process goes right back to how it used to be. Okay? So here's the deal is, is what do we do? Just like fake it? What do we do? Just try harder? Do we do those things? Here's what we do, and I hope we all do this, is we come together to be in the Word of God. This isn't meant for us to do by ourselves. This is like arm in arm, like bringing each other into this kind of presence and this community and these things. So we're not brick makers. We're not a community of brick makers. are like, ah, oh, this is really bad. I'll go. I gotta go do this. Rather, it's like, hey, no, come in. Because this is God's city on the hill. This is a beautiful place of shalom. This is a beautiful place to live. This is a beautiful place that we're striving to live this way. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.